This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Good day to you all and welcome to the South Africa Global Markets Perspective podcast for October 2022. My name is Kondi Ngosi, Schroeder South Africa Country Head, and I'm pleased to be joined by David Rees, Senior Emerging Markets Economist at Schroeder's. The date of this recording is the 2nd of November, and the reason I make that point is we are awaiting the Fed decision on interest rates later this evening, which we will be referencing throughout the podcast. David, welcome. Hi, Condi. Great to be here. So, David, lots going on globally from an economics perspective. Lots of geopolitics, uh, Russia and Ukraine and beyond. Inflation is still a story We've got looming global recession on our hands and, of course, the energy crisis in Europe. Can you maybe just give our listeners a broad overview of the current state of the global economy before we get into the detail at regional level? Yeah, it's pretty pretty difficult backdrop, isn't it, at the moment for investors and economists? I mean, economists never like to forecast recessions, but that certainly seems to be the way we're going in developed markets. If you look at the way that PMIs have been coming off around the world, as high inflation essentially chokes off demand and and spending power. And of course, central banks are raising interest rates. So, you know, the House view is that we're going into a global recession led by developed markets. And I think so far, the the data are kind of pointing in that direction. So I referenced the US Fed in my introduction, David, and broad consensus is that there'll be a 75 basis point hike today. But there are rumors that there's potential pivoting from a policy perspective in the U.S. Could you care to give us some comments on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think this is probably the most important economic uh, event to keep an eye on, you know, at the moment from our point of view, because a lot of speculation is said about a pivot by the Fed. There's a lot of uncertainty about what most people think a pivot is. I mean, some people think that if they signal a slowing in the pace of future tightening, that would count as a pivot. A lot of economists would argue that a pivot is actually when they start cutting rates further down the line. But nonetheless, you know, risk assets are going to be very sensitive to what the Fed does. Now, in terms of whether we get some kind of pivot or some kind of softening in, in language from the Fed, um, I think it's really difficult to judge. You know, on the one hand, we are seeing some signs of future disinflation coming through, whether it's from the goods side, you know, PPI from China is collapsing and that usually feeds through to lower goods prices globally. Owner's equivalent rent, the housing component of inflation in the US is high. It's going to be high for a little bit longer, but we can see disinflation there coming through from leading indicators. But on the other hand, um, you know, the, the US economy has got extremely low rates of unemployment. Inflation is high, you know, core inflation is a 40-year high. And a lot of people think that, you know, the economy is overheating. So I think it's really finely balanced as to whether or not the Fed will change its language or not. Uh, and as I said, that will, have a, that will have a major bearing on the performance of markets short term. If we do see some kind of softening in language and some kind of pivot in inverted commas, then probably equity will start to do reasonably well, certainly in the short term. If we don't, then, you know, the tough time for markets will continue. So, David, on this point about the Fed in the U.S., uh, Keith Wade, our chief economist, recently put out a note where he highlighted that one needs to see two things occur before potential 
pivot from the Fed. And the two that he mentioned are inflation showing signs of falling and, of course, the labor market weakening that you referenced. What are the signs around this, particularly in the U.S. economy at the moment? Yeah, so I mean, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a three way split going on in inflation, I suppose. So you know, you've got the commodities component, which you know, globally, high food and energy prices have, have driven headline rates of inflation up to multi decade highs. You know, that that was the kind of first mover, if you like, that drove up inflation. And there, there's pretty clear signs that that's starting to come off in in, a, in quite a few markets now. We're seeing energy inflation starting to come down quite sharply and food inflation coming off too. So that's kind of one element of disinflation that we're seeing. As I also said, we're seeing, you know, signs that goods inflation is coming off. So if you cast your mind back to the the pandemic, we've discussed in the past how demand was really crammed into the goods sector and the, the supply of goods globally was restricted because you know, COVID and what have you was disrupting production. You know, we saw goods inflation really shoot up and that's now starting to reverse because the supply side is catching up and demand is skewing back to the services side of the economy pretty much everywhere in the world. So those signs of kind of disinflation are promising and we think that they will continue. But as I said, the the kind of the, the crux of the matter now is what's going on with services inflation. Services inflation is high and rising and labour markets are extremely tight, which means that wage growth is fairly buoyant too. So, you know, service pricing is pretty sensitive to the to the cost of labour. And this is really what the Fed wants to see signs of improvement on. And, you know, there are chinks of, of, of light here that, that suggest that we're starting to see some improvement, but it's very early days. David, I want to shift our focus now to emerging markets and Russia slash Ukraine. So we've seen the recent news that Russia has withdrawn from the Black Sea deal that saw safe passage of dry goods cargo ships. That's obviously hitting commodity prices and will likely have a big impact, perhaps more in EM and and perhaps more specifically in Asia. What are your insights around this particular development? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously... The, the events in Ukraine continue to be pretty dreadful um, and um, obviously on a non-economic sort of point of view, it, it's really terrible news what we're seeing out of Ukraine. In terms of the impact on the global economy, I mean, we had seen some kind of signs that maybe Russia was starting to sort of roll back in, in the conflict and starting to suffer some losses and that sort of raised some hopes that, you know, resolution was nearing to the whole situation. But as you said, it doesn't really seem as though we're actually getting to that point. And actually, the more sort of desperate that Russia becomes and the more that it's kind of clinging on and, and really fighting to the last, the more that we're seeing kind of threats of disruptions rising again. So we've kind of been through already this year the kind of cycle of what these impacts can mean. So if we're seeing disruption again to the grains market and, you know, if this is the marginal driver of, of prices there, then you know, that's going to push up prices and that's a particular threat to EMs, a particular poorer EMs or even frontier markets that rely on imports of food and where food is a kind of large component of CPI baskets, etc. So some of those frontier markets, particularly around kind of northern and eastern Africa and parts of Asia. So, as I said, we've had a dry run for what that can mean and that can really put a squeeze on both inflation and the external accounts at a time, of course, where it's 
becoming harder and harder to get dollar financing for external deficits. So, you know, that can be a bit of a bit of an issue there. And, and the same goes for energy prices. So unfortunately, the spillover will hit those EMs that are already quite vulnerable the hardest. Right. So discussions about sort of peak or terminal inflation are a little premature at the moment. Is that the message here? Yes and no. I mean, the, the fact that commodity prices have had already risen so far in the past and have now started to come off means that actually prices would have to climb even higher now to you'd have to see another sort of peak for the year on year comparison to pick up again. But what it might well mean is that that kind of disinflation in food and energy that I spoke about earlier that we're starting to see and anticipate, perhaps that gets slowed down a little bit if commodity prices do pick up again. David, I also want to chat about China. It's another area that you specialize in. You wrote a recent note around the rebound in economic activity in quarter three in China. However, you highlight sort of two key elements around sort of decline in in exports and the zero COVID policy and the impact of that on the Chinese economy. Could you expand on that for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the economy actually did better than than was generally expected in in Q3. So the annual rate of GDP growth picked up to 3.9% from 0.4% in in the second quarter as the economy rebounded from the lockdowns that were put in place earlier in the year. And, you know, that was actually in line with our baseline forecast, but a bit better than we generally expected. Looking ahead, as you said, we, we do still have concerns that export-led growth will fade away. And that has been the, the key driver of the economy over the past couple of years, really. And of course, given that we think the rest of the world is going into recession, and as I said, demand is moving away from goods and more towards services, you know, that's clearly a negative for China's export sector. And COVID restrictions remain a drag on domestic activity. So, you know, there are still some issues to work through in China. But actually, when you look beyond that, there are some signs of improvement. that are more or less in line with the story that we've been anticipating. We've been expecting signs of some improvement to come through as kind of the lagged effects of looser policy started to appear in the data around this time. And, you know, we're seeing that coming through. Certainly, infrastructure investment is pretty buoyant. Sales and production of vehicles, which have been a benefit of stimulus, have been pretty buoyant too. And we're even seeing tentative signs of stabilisation in in the real estate sector. So, you know, that major drag there might start to go away. And given that our leading indicators have been picking up for a while, we still see grounds for an improvement in growth going into next year. I guess in terms of markets, though, it's pretty clear that at the moment, politics are in the driving seat. So ever since we had the the National Congress in October, where Xi solidified his position in power and looks set to remain at the helm for quite some time, financial markets in China have performed badly. We saw some big losses there. So while the macro seems reasonably okay, you know, it's not brilliant, but we are seeing some signs of light there. Really, politics are driving markets at the moment. David, another very, very interesting note you wrote was this point of emerging markets, uh, central banks intervening in the FX markets, given the significant dollar strength we've seen this year. Of course, uh, the length of time that these central banks can intervene in these markets uh, to a large extent is dependent on the size of their FX reserves. What is the broad 
picture from an emerging market central bank perspective in terms of how sustainable these interventions can be? Yeah, absolutely. So, as you said, um, we we have seen central banks in in EM get a bit more nervous about uh, the performance of their currencies over the past kind of six months, I suppose. So, you know, the dollar has been strengthening and been on a tear since the middle of 2021. Uh, Most EMs have been, up until a few months ago, been reasonably happy to kind of ride that out because they've had fairly solid external positions that have kind of insulated their currencies to some degree. And actually, EM currencies have performed less badly against the dollar than DM currencies this year, which is which is unusual. But as I said, we have seen a bit more reaction from central banks running down their reserves to try and protect the value of their currencies. Some of those that, that stand out as having intervened the most, for example, are in Chile, Thailand, Czech Republic, India, you know, these kind of emerging markets where reserves have fallen by kind of 15 to 20%. Now, reserves aren't a bottomless pit. You know, of course, they're they're holdings of foreign currency that have been accumulated. And generally, central banks want to maintain a decent stock of reserves such that import kind of obligations or or external debt obligations are reasonably well covered. And so if we do see further dollar strength, but of course, a lot of this comes back to what, what we find out from the Fed later today. But if we do see a hawkish Fed or we do see further dollar strength, then, of course, central banks are probably going to intervene a bit more in EM to to protect their currencies. Now, they're not going to be able to do that forever. And those EMs where reserves coverage is a bit thinner and where balance of payments positions are a bit weaker, so that is, you know, you've got current account deficits, which are kind of funded by short-term flows, these central banks are going to be the most concerned. And the next step really would be for them to start raising interest rates more aggressively than is that is generally expected. So we've already seen Hungary do this. They they didn't increase their, their official policy rate, but they increased several other interest rates sort of behind the scenes, if you like, in an effort to support the foreign. And, you know, other central banks, particularly in Asia and parts of Central Eastern Europe, are pretty vulnerable to doing this again. So that's something we're keeping an eye on. It could be a bit of a shock to local bond markets if, if it happens. Uh, albeit it would help stabilise the currency. On the other side of the coin, other EMs have got better kind of external positions. They've also got relatively high interest rates, particularly on a forward-looking basis, many parts of Latin America and actually South Africa as well. So there's a bit more insulation and less risk of these kind of emergency rate hikes in these countries. So, David, as we conclude the podcast, uh, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball and have a forward-looking view, given this backdrop that we've painted here. What are your expectations for, I suppose, global economies, emerging markets, developed markets for 2023, and also, I suppose, the impact on financial markets? What, What are you expecting to see going forward? Well, it's hard to it's hard to get away from the fact that growth next year generally is going to be slower uh, than this year. Obviously, you know, if we're expecting a, a, a recession in developed markets next year, which, um, as I said earlier, you, you know, most indicators suggest we're kind of heading in that direction, that that's going to be pretty tough backdrop for emerging markets. You know, those EMs that rely on exports to developed markets, you know, particularly in Asia, Central Eastern Europe, are going to see. Um, a, a slowdown in trade. And th- that kind of global picture all, is also going to probably weigh on commodity prices, which is a bit of an issue for Latin America, South Africa. So 
on the whole, and of course, the lagged impact of interest rate hikes, which we've seen almost everywhere over the past year. So on the whole, growth is going to be slower. That's going to be a bit of a headwind for financial markets, um, particularly, you know, cyclical assets. So in equity, certainly in developed market equity markets, we have seen a couple of kind of bear market rallies, if you like, but we're still concerned that earnings expectations for next year haven't really been downgraded. Um, and until that happens, you know, as, as the recession comes closer into view and analysts start to ratchet down their earnings expectations, until we see that happen, which kind of cleans the deck, if you like, for equities, then it's it's kind of hard to see a sustained rally in, in those markets. That said, um, the kind of backdrop is probably favouring a little bit um, fixed income, I would say, certainly at the moment in emerging markets, as I said, we, we seem to be around the peak in inflation at the moment. And if inflation does start to come down, then that might start to present some opportunities. So that combination of inflation decelerating and growth slowing uh, would, would usually be favourable to kind of fixed income and some markets in EM, such as Brazil, um, other parts of Latin America, and, and actually South Africa, where local yields are very high. Um, you know, there are attractive opportunities there. So it's going to be a case of picking up those opportunities as they emerge, I think, through the cycle. Thanks very much, David. Um, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks very much for your time. Looking forward to seeing you in March 2023 for the Schroeder's Investment Symposium here in South Africa. Yeah, thanks, Condi. It's a pleasure and can't wait to see you too. David Rees, Senior Emerging Markets Economist at Schroeder's. This marks the end of the October 2022 podcast for South African investors. Looking forward to having a discussion with you again next month. Thanks very much. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment. The forecasts included are not guaranteed. They are provided only as at the date of issue and should not be relied upon. Our forecasts are based on our own assumptions, which may change. We accept no responsibility for any errors of fact or opinion and assume no obligation to provide you with any changes to our assumptions or forecasts. Forecasts and assumptions may be affected by external, economic or other factors.